through her eyes how to overcome adversity and learn to let go. Read by the author, Natasha John Baptiste. Healing takes time. It is beautiful when we are ready to embrace a new us, casting off any burden or chain that may have bound us. What a wonderful thing it is when we choose to let go and cast away all the things that no longer serve us and keep us a victim to the past. We no longer refuse to let go, but choose to go on emancipated. Through her eyes forward. Why write this book, you may ask, as well as pondering upon the title Through Her Eyes? Being a student of psychology, as well as a humanist survivor, optimist and a woman with an intention to empower others, it is reasonable that an author will see life primarily from their own perspective. It is only the perception of one individual that can divulge the analogies that represent that single person's life. The experiences that each individual experiences upon their own life's journey will always be from a different window view to others. As we will go on to see through the memory of a child, adolescent and young woman who has suffered childhood trauma into adulthood, although observation may be skewed or blurred through limited vision, perception and a narrow understanding, making the events real to the individual as they see it. We all see things from our own viewpoints and personal encounters with the said things that we have faced and continue to face. No one can say who is right or who is wrong in any given situation. Opinion is subjective. We all have a story to tell. Here is mine. My voice matters. I lost my voice and went blind with it nearly two decades ago. Through my journey of being mute I had to dig deep within myself and found elements of me that I did not know existed. My voice was more than a sound that came through the vibration of a voice box. My voice is my creativity, imagination and showing parts of me that were not frequency but colour. My inspiration helped me to find a voice that had been lost yet somehow found new meaning, something that could be shared, an internal voice, not the one of negativity that told me you're a bad mother, you're ugly, you're no good, and so much more. That was not my voice at all, because a new voice that now empowered me said encouraging things, or words such as, you're inspirational, you got this, go and do you. Wow. I realised my voice really mattered. I could speak up and make a difference. So today I stand with gratitude, progressing forward into the light, emitting the strongest rays of illumination, shining from the highest mountain. Yes, my voice matters because I am me. There is no other who can be the person that has been renewed to a transformed version of a better version of myself. Now that's amazing. It's not always been this way. I've worked so hard for a long while, My career was soaring like that of an eagle, and whilst not having any consideration for the past, I was having the time of my life. Work enabled me to travel abroad almost every weekend, and sometimes during the week. We travelled to exotic places to entertain royalty, members of parliament, celebrities, and even the so-called rabble. I used to tell the bank teller on the Monday morning about my adventures. I'm not sure if she believed me and the ramblings of the weekend that I had just experienced. Come to think of it, those trips were so ostentatious 
and as a matter of fact, quite unbelievable. I don't think anyone would have really believed the events because those days were just so magical. I have the memories and pictures to prove it all. At that particular time, I had been working with two of the top function bands in London. We were doing extraordinarily well. We were at our grind most of the week, as well as gigging on a regular basis. Being creative played a major part of my life. We would do late night sessions in the studio, writing songs and laying them down, having the opportunity to work with some of the top producers in the capital at the time. Not realising how much of an opportunity all of this was, having the chance to be signed to multiple record labels such as Big Life and Rank Records, who were topping the charts with a new sound called Junglist. I had just signed a recording contract with BMG, a major record label. This was a big deal. I was working on some fine projects and happy to be part of it all. Life was looking so optimistic. I was riding a wave. It seemed as though nothing could go wrong. That is, until bad news came. There was a death in the family, the catalyst to our world falling apart. My husband fell to pieces, his brothers were not on speaking terms, and an even worse plight. There was in-house fighting and pilfering amongst some family members due to rumours circulating after wedding. Their mother was not even cold dead in the ground, and all hell was breaking loose. This was having a big impact on my immediate family as we were stuck in the middle of bitterness and grief. It was the wives of the brothers, you see. There was some kind of misunderstanding and what was once a realm of camaraderie and togetherness had now turned into best friends becoming arch enemies. Even down to this day, 20 years later, the feud continues. Did you know that we only hurt ourselves when we hold a grudge against somebody else? In fact, holding a grudge can have much further reaching and devastating effects. This is because it is like poison that absorbs into every part of the body, consuming the victim to death. When we hold a grudge, it takes a lot of energy to maintain those negative emotions as we have to hold on to the bitterness, anger and resentment to remain in such an unforgiving state will only impact on the individual holding the resentment resulting in weaknesses physically. It may seem like a hard thing to do, but letting go and moving on is the only cure for this. Whatever we do in life, even in the small things, it is a constant practice. If we practice an art, be it singing, painting or dancing, on a daily basis, we thus master the craft. It's the same if we practice holding a burden or a grudge. When we display unforgiveness and hate, we become good at that too. If we know people or have friendships that harbour any signs of a grudge, this needs to be quashed and addressed as soon as possible. If the person does not want to let go and fix what seems to be a burden to them, then we need to walk away from what could eventually turn into a toxic environment. This is why it's fundamental to take check on ourselves and the role that we play in our relationships. Firstly, the most important relationship we should all try and maintain is the one that we have with ourselves. Secondly, is the relationship that we have with other people. We can have lasting and positive impact with everyone that we come into contact with. Watch from the wings. It takes no time if we are observant enough, that is, to see how the people that we acquaint ourselves with treat others. Overall, if required, be a soul that can function quite easily without the need of validation from other people. Be a person who forgives easily. There are no winners on either side of a grudge. 
be the bigger person. Also remember that it is all right to walk alone. We do not always need to have an entourage to make our way through life. Keep in mind that if we choose to walk alone, that we are in the best company that is the best of ourselves. Our mindset, heart set, along with our soul set enables us to function at a high level of self-awareness and understanding. This means that when we take time out to reflect on every ounce of our being, getting to know what makes us function at the levels that we do, what makes us happy, what makes us sad, what takes us out of a happy state and what puts us into a happy frame of mind. Do not confuse self-awareness with selfishness and ignorance. The opposite of this is to be self-absorbed. When we become self-absorbed, this dulls our emotions and thus can lead us to overlooking the people around us. This may block out natural exchanges that are necessary to function in healthy relationships. Another danger is that of internalising our hurt. Even so, Though it may seem to those around us that we are functioning as ordinary, they may not recognise our pain. My husband did this and began to lick his wounds in secret, leaving me out in the cold alone. He did not speak much and carried his hurt and pain around his baggage for a long time. This in turn led down a path of depression. It began to take over me and for some strange reason my voice stopped working. From then on, I began to speak into existence a lie that I lived for more than 16 years. My life hung in the balance and I tried to take it. Come with me on a journey where I will tell you how overcoming experiences of despair, loneliness, abandonment and many other traumatic incidences moulded me into the person that I am today. Every negative mark can be erased once we have the right tools to combat those demons that may plague and frighten us into submission. Being human gives us the opportunity to rise above whatever life throws at us, given the pains and unforeseen circumstances that kick up the arse. Enabling us to move into brighter and sunnier terrain, it's an ebb and flow that is life. How do we rise up to the challenge? We all have the survival instinct, so how do we use it? Go the distance and have the will to survive. Eye of the Tiger. Chapter 1 Childhood, where did it begin? Born to Jamaican parents, where for most part my father was absent, I do not remember much of my childhood until around six years of age. I was in an attic room being forsaken by my mother into the hands of strangers. Our mothers are the first example of attachment, and there is an invisible bond that ties us together, but not everyone has that privilege. I recall it being quite a big room with two bunk beds side by side at a dormer window and on the other side of the room there was a porcelain sink. Imagine a young child who was crying, feeling lost, lonely and abandoned, not comprehending the reasons why. All of a sudden, a young, tall, skinny, blonde boy seemed to appear from out of nowhere. He uttered two sweet words, don't cry. I gazed at him blankly with huge tears in my eyes which by now had begun to roll down my cheeks. He reached into his t-shirt and put his hand under his armpit, pumped his arm up and down and began to make a really funny squeaky noise that made me laugh. He put me at ease and the tears subsided. After that occurrence, I do not recall ever seeing that young man again all the days that my siblings and I remained there at that children's home in Bex Hill. Because I never made any friends, it meant that loneliness always seemed to linger around me. We were enrolled into the local school 
I must have been there for at least a year. I recollect that the classroom was dimly lit and small. The teacher was accommodating and sweet. She would sing two little dicky birds displaying two pieces of paper on her fingertips. Midway through the song, she would sing, Fly away, Peter, fly away, Paul, as if by a miracle she would make the birds disappear. It's astonishing how impressionable a young child's mind can be. There is something called agents of socialisation. This is relevant to how individuals see themselves. Our behaviours and paradigms are more than likely to be dependent on our upbringing, background, family, peers, religion and so on. Childhood plays a defining role in what we choose to become as we grow. Childhood is where all of the conditioning begins. It is an amazing time for our growth and it moulds us into a form of what we have seen, heard and felt. Can that form be remoulded? Or are our beginnings a prerequisite of our outcomes in the future? Does our upbringing or updragging mean that we are destined to failure with no hope of change for the next generation? For some, they can never get over childhood, meaning to a certain degree, some individuals saw things that scarred them for life and they have not been able to break the cycle. Yet others, they observed and learnt not to duplicate the same mistakes their parents and influence made upon them, breaking generational curses. By not having a mother or father's presence, we can survive without it. A mother is a woman who births us, yet there are surrogate mothers, other women who will take up the mantle and look out for our well-being. We can have many women who are our mothers, even more so many others who may have had a traumatising time, who have remoulded themselves into remarkable people that regardless of the trauma they experienced, have used their know-how to encourage and empower those that may feel overwhelmed. Equipping those in a position where they may feel trapped, but once given the necessary tools, they can find a way to become emancipated. We are humankind, and no matter what, the most resilient of all creatures – We are bionic, meaning that we can be rebuilt to superhuman strength and the capability to stand where we were once fragmented and uncertain. We can heal where the hurt has penetrated and we can regrow even though we might have been trampled down. I remember I would stand in that playground of the familiar school and beat the chalk duster to release all the chalk that had been erased from the blackboard. It brought me a sense of comfort And in those moments, it was all about the chalk being released up into the ether that mattered to me. And I would watch it rise and disappear. I'm not sure how long my siblings and I were in that children's home. But what I do know is that a spring and a summer season passed. And it was a dark night when the social worker came to take us back home. Exercise, symptoms and feelings of childhood neglect and abandonment. I feel. How do you feel? Problem checklist. Tick the boxes that apply to you. Yes, no, sometimes or never. Negative feelings. Anger. Sadness. Guilt. Shame. Mistrust of others. Constraints to closeness. Fear of abandonment. Check your answers. Yes, It is time to work on releasing those feelings. No, you are doing well. Sometimes we all get overcome occasionally. Never. You have worked through your feelings. 
If you are feeling any of these negative emotions, they can be overcome. In the next checklist, we can work towards feelings and being better regardless of how our emotions make us feel now. Overcoming feelings of childhood neglect, solution checklist. Recognise that you can live fulfilling life regardless of your past. Be mindful and send them on their way. The negative symptoms can be dissipated with working on them one at a time and asking ourselves, why am I holding on to this? It's a daily endeavour to live in the moment whenever negative feelings arise. Take a moment, acknowledge them and then send them on their merry way. It is an everyday practice to maintain our mental health. Live minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month by month and year by year. Living in the past cannot change anything. Dwell on what is amazing about you. Overcoming negative feelings and becoming a better version of ourselves is a constant work in progress. Individuals can overcome these feelings through application and implementation on a daily basis. Start today and mark your progress throughout the year. We all have perception. Looking at the things from different angles can give us a different view. A child's perception is that their mother left them. A mother's perception is she had to escape the domestic abuse. A social worker's perspective is to save the child from the destructive environment. Think on this. In our adult lives, there may be residual symptoms due to the feelings of being rejected or abandoned at a young age. They present themselves as problems. We can learn from the situation. Acceptance, survival, resilience and surrogacy. Chapter 2. Child sexual abuse. They weren't always that short and ugly to me. When I was younger, the men in my life seemed like giants. They were powerful, they were beautiful, until one did the unthinkable and took away what belonged to someone else. My innocence had been marred. So many used to come and go, and mum's door was always locked. I hated it, the fact that I would knock and she would never answer. I used to run my fingers down it, feeling the thickness of the barrier that separated us in hope of some form of acknowledgement. I would stand there for ages, listening for life on the other side. But to my disappointment, there was none. She never came, and for the best part, she too was absent. I do remember good moments, and would sometimes see my mother's struggle, although never understanding the bigger picture. As a child, we can only comprehend what our world is telling us. We grew up in the 70s, and the area in which we lived was predominantly inhabited by white folk. Black people up against the National Front, along with many other issues, including poverty, neglect and divorce in those days. My mother was a single parent of four. She was a young mother and had to do what she had to do to survive. Mum used to fly out to the States on business regularly, so we were often left with either a neighbour or a babysitter. On this occasion, she left us with her boyfriend. Yes, he was the one that I spoke of in the opening of this chapter. It was once taboo to speak of sex, and those who take advantage of the vulnerable, especially persons who insidiously lurk in the bounds of our own four walls. As I said, mum had her fair share, but she was young and beautiful, a head-turner and somewhat preoccupied. 
On this occasion, she had travelled, leaving us in the incapable hands of this unapproved and unvetted paedophile. I told my brothers about what was happening, as it started to become a nightly thing whilst my mother was away. This man would carry me from my bed into hers and touch me with the golem's touch. You know, golem from the Lord of the Rings. I was scared, petrified and disgusted. Thankfully, it only lasted as long as my mother's journey. One day, my brother let it slip when we were speaking of a journey to Wales that I had just returned home from. I was speaking about an experience of a stallion copulating with a mare and the size of its appendage. Lo and behold, my brother blurted, was it as big as Sydney's? Yes, that was his name. The air suddenly went thick and resulted in my brother being dismissed from the room and me to a barrage of questions. The sad thing is my mother didn't believe me. We saw Sydney once more after that and I confronted him in front of my siblings asking him, Sydney, why did you knew me? Newing was our term for having sex as children. Hoop hoop dumb and the subject was never spoken of again until later on in my life. I also had the experience of a male babysitter sneaking into our bedroom one night and asking if he could lick my private area. I venomously resounded, no. He left the room sheepishly. As crazy as this may sound, at least he asked and respected my decision and did not forcibly take what did not belong to him. Nevertheless, this man was our regular babysitter. I saw him some years later on the bus and felt automatically repulsed at the sight of him. I did not even greet him as the memories came flooding back, disturbing my spirit. He looked old and dishevelled, as well as ill and overweight. Regardless of being uncomfortable in that moment, I did not hold on to the thoughts. Once I got off the bus, I shook off the memory, the feeling and any emotion attached to my childhood ordeal with him. This is one way in which healing takes place. Remembering the past, not allowing it to infiltrate our thoughts, feelings and emotions. Learning to to do this is of great value as you practice not holding on to the hurt. This will enable you to progress forwards, allowing one's past to not affect you in a negative way. Dwelling on the past experiences can inhibit our progress, especially if we continue in what I call the goldfish bowl or cow mindset. The goldfish bowl mindset is that of going around and around in the same environment with nowhere to go. And the cow mindset is that of regurgitating and chewing on the cud. By us going over and over things or mulling over what has already occurred and been digested is unhealthy unproductive and keeps us in an unmovable mode of thinking. Symptoms of sexual child abuse in adulthood. Problem checklist. Yes, no, sometimes or never. Anxiety, depression, poor general health, low self-esteem, loss of confidence, post-traumatic stress, self-harm. There are more symptoms that are associated with sexual child abuse and many contributing factors that will aid in our recovery. Being a victim of it can stay with us throughout a lifetime. Seeking help and having the right mindset for change can aid in positive healing process. Overcoming the abuse solution checklist. How can you implement these things in your life to aid in the process of your own growth? Have a routine of self-care. Process the traumatic experience. Understand that you can move on in your life. Forgive yourself first. It was not your fault. 
and seek advice. Think on this. We all heal in our own time. Every so often, we may get the feeling of anger that comes up. It is natural to feel this way. Nevertheless, make it your aim not to dwell on the negative emotion, but learn and implement the tools that you have learnt to use and move on from it. Use your experience as a tool for growth and helping others. Chapter 3. Accept the no. Living in the ghetto had its downside, but oh, the upside was beautiful. The family spirit, you know that, amongst friends, regardless of who was related to who. We were all family, the older kids watched out for the younger kids and the younger kids amused the older ones. There was a sense of community and that is where the love was. When I was about eight years old, the young, tall, dark and handsome boy from the neighbourhood two doors removed from ours was my first love. That first feeling of emotion and longing swaddled me. He was also my second experience of rejection. I used to get my siblings to hold him down so that I could get a quick smooch from him. He would squirm like a worm and fight his way out of their clutches. My siblings would laugh at him and eventually set him free. I don't think that it was total rejection. Maybe it was shyness on his part and an experience that did not allow him to cross over to the mark of being comfortable with girls. Young men have their own issues too. Lack of understanding and fear holds most people back from what they really want. In our minds, it's easier to hide our feelings than to confront them. In an ideal world, we would approach whatever holds us back instinctively. However, it's the fear that prevents us from taking the steps that we want to our happiness. The best thing to do is to stop hiding and be truthful to ourselves. It's all right to show our feelings and if for some reason those feelings on the part of the other person are not reciprocated, that too is acceptable. Do not be afraid of being hurt. The hurt does not last a lifetime. Take for instance, if you buck your toe on the door frame. Yes, it's painful initially, yet the pain subsides after a while. In the case of being told no, when you look back, you realise that moving on was a good thing. Because someone tells us no, do not look at it as rejection. A no answer may not be what we want at the time, but it may well be that the universe is telling us it's not what we need in that particular moment. That no may well have saved us from a life or moment of heartache. Feeling the no in that second may have stung us, but living with something that was or is not for us might well have damaged or restricted us even more. Accept and embrace the no as it builds a person's character and is a stepping stone to the next yes. How do you handle being told no? Fill in the box with people who have told you no to get clarity on how you felt then and how you feel now. Who told you no? How did you feel then? How do you feel now? Who have you said no to? How did you feel then? How do you feel now? Realisation. It's hard growing up without any parents. Mum had left the country on a long-term basis and Dad had long ago abandoned us. My neighbour's mother took me in. She let me sleep in the same bed as my first love. By now we were older kids. I awoke one night to the feeling of him fondling me in a place that belonged to someone else. 
I whooped his backside and told him to never touch me again. I no longer felt the need for my siblings to hold him down anymore. He had by now come out of his shell and was taking his claim to my intimacy. But by now, it was too late. I no longer had an interest, and besides, there was no emotion, no love lingered. Was it really love in the first place? Can you be in love at eight years of age? He was more like a brother to me by this stage. The tide had turned. Now the realisation was that the rejection was not clarified and I now in turn rejected back. We in turn may say no to things change. We all say no. Think on this problem. Someone has told you no. Solution. Remember for everybody who says no, there will be someone who says yes. This is a no slate on our character. All of us have said no at some time or another. Chapter four, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Denying our opportunities can lead to regret. Moving forward, the person that shunned and hid their true intentions as regards to love now say to themselves, how I miss their smile. They never knew how much I deeply love them. And now I guess they never will. All of this because fear got in the way of them taking the opportunity that may have led to long-term happiness and fulfilment. On the flip side, maybe not. Even so, living with regret through our fears and not saying what we really mean equates to only one side of a conversation never being spoken. There are two sides to every conversation and every relationship. In the case of a man, he has his downsides growing up with a mind that he always has to be strong externally, externally yet weak internally as a bad foundation. Being true to yourself and understanding your feelings and emotions but not feeling ashamed is your birthright. Conditioning tells young men to be strong but there are some situations in which you cannot be strong all of the time. It is a human nature to get emotional looking back the person that may have wanted and knew in their heart of hearts that they could have spent a life with you, now has to watch from afar, possibly missing the opportunity of marriage and children with the one that got away. Their only thought now is, wow, she's so beautiful in form and her inner beauty far outweighs her outer. Or he's such a beautiful spirit with an amazing family. I'm living proof of an ignoramus. My youth duped me into believing the lies. Being shy did not help my situation either. I used to secretly love someone but gave up on the chance of exploring that relationship through fear. What will happen if you face the fear and do it anyway? Write down the pros and cons to the last question posed on the last page. What are your fears and how will you conquer them? Pros and cons. Think on this. It's easier to stay silent and not go for the things or people that we want in life. There is no harm in speaking our truth and enjoying the fruitage of expressing and living with the reality of the outcomes. Chapter 5. Use our time wisely. Back in the day was really tough. We had to fight to survive. New friendships were forged and different lifestyles were adopted. At 14 years of age, I already had two cleaning jobs, which were my mainstay. Thanks to my lovely neighbour, she was such a good woman whom I say was a lifesaver, a surrogate mother who looked out for my well-being. Had it not been for her, I do not know where I would be today. Having someone that is in your corner creates a circle. 
the beautiful thing is that we can all choose our circle and the people within it can create a village mentality. The village mentality is that everyone within that village will look out for all who live there. Auntie and I would meet every day to go and clean the offices in the city. They had a funny smell, that of coffee and paper mixed together. My job was to wash the coffee cups of the nonchalant office workers who could not be bothered to clean up after themselves. I would then vacuum around the desk and empty the bins quite monotonously, a monotonous task, yet the reward of payment was needed given our circumstances. Having to fend for oneself at such a young age was a challenge, yet I had to eat and buy things for school. Being self-sufficient at that time was of the utmost importance. The office was about 15 to 2,000 square feet with back-to-back desks lined up in rows. Even at that age, I often wondered how people coped in such dreary places. Those that sat in these seats were more than likely face-to-face with someone that they did not even like, get on with, resented or loathed. When dealing with everyday life and situations, do we complain or see good in the situation that we find ourselves in? The world is made up of all sorts of different people, some of whom may not know how to interact with others, some loud and obnoxious, in possibly a way that offends us. Some we get on with and some we avoid. That is the environment of an organisation. I too was there for a purpose and so to the people that worked in that office. The lights were too bright due to the ceiling being full of fluorescent bulbs. I'm a lover of natural sunlight, and I cannot say that there were any desk near any windows, and if there were, the Venetian blinds saw to it that no natural light was going to shine through. I did that job for a while, and it helped make me see that I did not want to work in an office of that magnitude when I was grown. Not that there is anything wrong with working in that capacity or that environment, but in my individual case, that was the choice that I chose to make. We all have choice and preference. That is one bonus on life's journey. Ask yourself questions. Stay as I am, or what do I need to do to change things? So yes or no. Am I happy doing what I'm doing? Am I living inside my comfort zone? Can I do more with my life? Once you've drawn your conclusion, remember there's always a way out. If things are not tallying up for us, the table on the left, does fear hold you back? If so, why? If so, remember that fear can be faced and overcome. This will enable us to discharge and have the belief that we are more than the circumstances that we find ourselves in. There is a time before and after the day job for us all to realise our dreams. Extra effort is needed before the fatigue sets in. Even though we may be tired, there are still 24 hours in the day to work out at our dreams, even if we do have a nine to five. How valuable is your dream over work, rest, sleep, repeat? Utilising travel to work can help. Do we buy the time to read in the interim and compile ideas, what about listening to motivational talks, thus moving us to taking positive action? It's quite amazing when we dig past the surface, step outside that comfort zone and start. By starting, we are well on our way to making of a great future, that of our dreams, goals and desires being met. Society always seems to try and make 
conformity appealing. The reality is the great majority do. Our burning ambitions get put on layaway and paying the bills becomes priority. We know deep down inside of our hearts that we could be getting so much more out of our lives. On this life's journey, there are no rehearsals or curtain calls. This is it. One life to manage, so how can we get the best out of it? Are you building others' dreams or working on yours? Table others' dreams, how are you helping them achieve theirs? Your dreams, what are you doing to accomplish them? Think on this. If you do have dreams and aspirations, they can be met with forethought and diligence. If you truly do want to accomplish your childhood dreams, work on them, otherwise you will end up building someone else's vision. Chapter 6, Homeless I was a bit of a wanderer from 13 years of age. My mum had left for Jamaica, leaving four children with her husband, our stepdad, who really had no desire in looking after four strays. Granted, mum had bought a house, so at least we had a roof over our heads, or so we thought. I remember Eddie using us as doormats. One night he came in and said to me, get me my food. I was in the throes of watching one of my favourite TV programmes at the time, so did not take kindly to, one, the way he asked me, and two, his insistence on wanting it now. Given the fact that this man had hit me in the face with his belt already, and my mother did nothing about it, I could not stand the sight of him. Hence, I went downstairs to warm up the pots on the stove, since the microwave had not quite come into existence yet. I proceeded to go downstairs to continue being entertained by my TV show whilst waiting for the food to warm up. Eddie got angry and bellowed at me, yelling, I want my food now! In my mind I said, OK, you want it now. I'll give it to you now. The food was not fully warmed up yet. I began dishing it up in its cold state, straight onto the plate. In that moment, I was not thinking about the consequences of my actions. I served him the food as was requested. Anger ensued from him and he was not happy at all. Spitting the food onto the plate, he gnashed his teeth at me and said, it's cold. I responded, you said you wanted it now, didn't you? He flipped. His anger overtook him to the point of silence. Let's just say the TV was switched off and I did not get to finish the show. Not long after that, mum could not have been gone longer than a month. He gave us all our marching orders. We were moved out of our mother's house with all of our history erased from us. No childhood pictures, no tangible memories. They were all gone. That man stole our inheritance. In that case, the man who my mother married was a fraud. And there are lots of people out there like that who will use you for what you have. He proved his true colours. And in the 11th hour, he still lives up to the title of waste man, having no standards down to this day. Who's in your corner? Write down a list of your associates, friends and family. Gauge your relationship with them and ask these questions. Friend or foe, do they show concern? Do they just take from you? Do they check in on you? Do they upbuild you? Do you have a two-way conversation? Fortunately for us, my mother had kept her old flat where we had grown up. I often wonder what would have happened had she not we would have definitely been out on those unforgiving London streets. We were in the old flat for at least a year or so because I do recall a summer and a winter passing. 
At that time, we were struggling. My brothers were at a boarding school in Stevenage, so it, it was my sister and I that were living in the flat. It might have seemed cool not having any parents around, yet I can reassure you that it was discombobulating, to say the least. However, this is where my guardian angel from next door stepped in to help, as I noted before, getting me a cleaning job and some form of wage. I don't know how I managed to go to school and maintain some kind of normalcy normalcy because I noted that my siblings were having troubles of their own. Thankfully, my younger brother stayed in school and did the best that he could, only returning for the school holidays. My brother that is born next in line to me chose to leave school. He was only 12. All that I can say is that there must have been some almighty force vowing for us to survive because for a period of time, we all seemed to fare well. This is until some undesirable acquaintances that my sister had met started to visit the flat on a regular basis. Not long after this, I had split up with a guy that I was seeing whom subsequently started to date my sister. It was at this time that her ex asked me out. Of course, I turned him down and continued on as best as I could. He started hanging around the house with my brother and I even remember him offering me a line of cocaine. Thank goodness I declined the offer. It's quite dismaying the influence that others can have upon us. They can leave a profound effect on our lives. The film Lady Sings the Blues comes to my mind when I think of that situation of being offered drugs. Had it not been for that film, another story may well have ensued. One that could have led me down another path, culminating to another life. This is down to the choices that we make. There are some courses of action that we do not need to take, yet influence, peers, circumstance and our own strengths can determine positive or negative outcomes. The choice is and will always be ours. Choices. Do I make good choices? List. Choice. Yes, no. Outcome. How did things work out? At this stage, things were getting tougher by the day. My sister and I were at loggerheads and our family were now becoming an undesirable nuisance around the neighbourhood. My sister would play music so loud at any time, night or day. The neighbours eventually got a petition together to get us evicted. One person's behaviour can lead to others facing harsh consequences and in this case, we were kicked out of our childhood home. Imagine that being evicted twice in the space of a year or so from a home that my mother had bought and the home that we had grown up in. Regardless of the consequences, maintaining a positive outlook, signing up and continuing to go to college, even though my exam results at the end of my secondary schooling days were atrocious, giving up was no option for me. And irrespective of how I saw myself, I knew I had a greater vision and purpose, even though this was not realised until later on in my life. Facing the truth was that we were children that had no direction. We were dragged up literally in a harsh environment. I did stay with my dad for a few months and things did start off in an optimistic way. However, he and my stepmother had their own problems. I only added to the burden. When looking on things through a child's eyes, we cannot comprehend the problems of our parents. A child is conceived to be loved nurtured and raised to be an upstanding member of our society. Nevertheless, if a parent has not had the greatest childhood experience themselves, then they may not have the tools to be loving, welcoming or nurturing. 
we all had and continue to have problems that stem along a full spectrum of societal issues. We cannot run from the fact that in this existence we will all face uncertainties as well as having to handle the everyday monotony and mundane humdrum on an economical treadmill, all of which are survival tactics that are all part of the university of life. We all have to attempt to build strong and healthy relationships with family members, friends, colleagues and associates, yet sometimes issues remain unresolved and there comes a breakdown in society. As we can see, all humans deal with troubles on a daily basis. My stepmother was heavily pregnant and did try her best. However, I was functioning from a place of desertion. Yes, they took me in, of which I was thankful for. Nonetheless, they had their own children. There were different schedules and rules, something that I had not grown accustomed to. I had to adhere to living with a family that had been absent for practically most of my life. There was too much fragmentation, so that living arrangement was terminated. It was a choice that I had to make. Thankfully, we had a really good social worker, Mrs Neville, who had been with us for many years whilst growing up. She helped us out immensely. And looking back, even though our circumstances were not the greatest, there was always someone there in our circle to help us. Childhood into adolescence was challenging, yet it gave me a sense of maturity and a willingness to help others. When we as individuals suffer, we can empathise with people and go on to encourage them to use their stories to empower individuals that may be in the same position that we were once in. We did finally get somewhere else to live after spending some time in hotels in Finsbury Park. I've been homeless three times in my life. The time we had just read about, a time when I was pregnant with my daughter, the last time I was homeless, we were a family unit with children. Looking back, trauma played a big part in my life when we were homeless the third time with the children due to being flooded out of our rental property. This was a particularly trying time. It was one thing to be homeless on your own, but with children, it's a whole other story. Ken, my husband, and I had just come back from our honeymoon, and yes, by now, I had two children, Alicia, Lily, and Marjak, Margie. It was a matter of a day when we found ourselves ankle-deep in water and without electricity. We approached our local authority for help, and they decided to put us in a property on Vartry Road. Imagine that when I was homeless the second time, we had lived in a property on that same road. However, there was no way that Ken and the children and myself were going to be staying in this condemned building. The chap that shown us around the so-called grounds of a Victorian structure that had resembled a Victorian prison with its long corridors and suspicious characters became quite apparent to us. The man showing us around gave off two red flags firstly. He said that they had two rooms, each at opposing ends of the corridor. Secondly, he made the statement that the children could sleep in one room and we could have the other. Now, being that kind of mother that did not let her offspring out of her sight, I had already declined that offer in my head. He then went on to bring a double mattress into the room that quite clearly told a story all of its own. Me knowing full well that that mattress was meant to be white but it had other telling signs that we were not the first people to sleep on it. What sealed the deal of this nightmare was when we were leaving. 
to hypothetically go back and collect a few things, there was a man about six foot three coming out of a communal bathroom wearing a towel around his waist that barely covered the part it was meant to. With a bucket in his left hand, a sponge on a handle in his right hand and a blue shower cap on his head, Ken and I decided it best to hedge our bets in ankle-high water with no electricity or gas. As it was the weekend, we sat it out until Monday to get more appropriate accommodation. It was really trying time for us, starting out as a newlywed couple. Eventually, we were put in a place in Edmonton where there was a curfew. This affected me getting into the building after gigs. I did spend a few nights sleeping in my car and on a friend's couch. The next place was again prison-like with its long corridors and sardine-packed residents. In one apartment, we came to learn that there was a gun factory and another where the cooking stunk like they were preparing something that had been dead for a while. Imagine holding your breath from the front of a building and doing a 200-metre sprint to your front door. Yet this was life for us for about 18 months. The greatest thing is that at least we had each other. I don't recall much people coming around to see us at this time, as our newfound faith did not have room for outsiders. We made the most of what we had and got on with things regardless. Surviving this temporary setback, all I can say through my whole homeless experience is that there is always hope and recovery. There is always a way out of the worst situation that we may find ourselves in. Think on this. No matter what challenges we face, there is always a way out, leading to experience and a chance to use our story to help other people. Chapter 7. Domestic Abuse Did you know one in three women are killed every week by their partner? Looking back on this personal recollection, do you recall me telling you that my sister went off with my boyfriend? Well, a couple of years later, when we were rehoused in Hackney, I bucked up with him and foolishly decided to date him again. He treated me so badly. It turned out that he was seeing some other woman at the other end of our estate where we lived at the time. I had already cut him off by then. At one particular time, it was our birthday month. My siblings and I were all born in June, so in pure Oakley fashion, we would always host a birthday bash. It so happened that my ex was present and some other dude accosted me. Now, I know that getting involved with someone on the rebound is not the wisest choice to make. However, this guy asked me out and our first date was a Tuesday after the party. Now, me being a feisty 17-year-old that had decided to pay a visit to my ex's girlfriend's house to return, in air quotes, some things, a fight ensued. Sadly, fighting is not one of my strongest points, therefore the outcome resulted in me being bitten by their pet dog under my breast. This left me ending up in A&E, with a bruised ego and a new boyfriend. Being brutally honest with myself, there was no real attraction, love or commitment to this man, and for a while I just went along with dating him. Over time I noticed that he could be quite possessive, this is where the danger lies, when we ignore facts and red flags that are evident, yet we continue in the facade, which can lead to dangerous outcomes. We need to act on having better judgments and quashing the inevitable, regardless of how the feelings or love may have grown. In this case, it would lead me down a rabbit hole that thankfully did not take me too long to get out of. It started after the party at his parents' house. 
everyone was a bit hungover, especially his father. I was wearing one of his tops that revealed a bit of side boob. Reaching up to give his father a sip of water, he screamed at me, exposing blood vessels in his neck and making me fully jump out my skin. Cover yourself! His family seemed quite shocked and left me feeling extremely embarrassed. I ran out of the room that was the first stage leading to darkness. I did not note what had happened as something bad, but did not like being made to feel so self-conscious in front of all those people. The abuse lasted for at least two years, progressively escalating, firstly with a light slap and eventually leading to a full-blown out thump in the face, a black eye and bust lip. The thing is that it erodes away at your character and crushes your confidence. Before I met him, I was singing, I was with a band, writing songs and having the time of my life, young, carefree and progressing towards womanhood. Having said that, I had a whole lot of growing up to do. Loss of freedom can happen instantaneously without you even realising it. Meeting the wrong person can put you onto the road leading to disaster. It does not take too long for an abusive person to get inside of an unsuspecting love interest's head, manipulating, gaslighting and making them feel as if it's all their fault. Never lose the fight. The damage need only be temporary and not a life sentence. See the signs and take the steps to get out whilst you have a fighting chance. That is as long as no full commitment has been made and you have no real vested interest that is pregnancy or a roof over your head provided by the perpetrator and yet still there is a way out. In my case, I had some fight left inside of me and I realised that getting out was my only option. Can I be brutally honest with you? Although these things were happening to me, it did not resonate as I was not accustomed to being treated so badly. The closest I got to some form of mistreatment was from the first boyfriend I had prior to this one. He clearly demonstrated that he was a waste man through his cheating and emotional abuse. But as for this one, he was my first real meaningful relationship, or so I thought. Growing up, I had no example of what it was meant to be like. My father was not the greatest example of how a man should treat a woman, but my stepfather was my greatest example of how a woman should be treated. He had patience of a saint and was so gentle and mild, so I did have a little inkling. Realising that I was in an abusive relationship was not even a thought that ever crossed my mind. I recall that I told him that I wanted to go to college, but he rebuked me and said that in no uncertain terms was I going. By this time, we had a child together. So my guess was that in his eyes, he felt that he had ownership over me. This is another thing. When we are young, we are so carefree in the decisions that we make. In some cases, nothing would ever hold us back from the things that we truly wanted to do. Warning. A teenager has no fear, no forethought, just impulse. There's no insight to the repercussions that may come with the actions that are taken and that is where experience is truly the teacher. Yeah, I was 17 years old and wanted a baby. I gave no thought to whom the father would be for my unborn child or any of the important things that mattered. Nah, I just wanted a child and that was it. Can you see... As a result of my mindset, how a cycle continues 
no forethought for the unborn offspring and how they would be impacted in their future. At that time, I was in no position to have a baby, but hey, that is what I wanted and that is what I got. My daughter meant everything to me. I loved my Lily. My thinking was that I would give her a life that I longed for when growing up. On our journey as a couple, we became homeless, yet the transition was not as traumatic as it was when I was 14. At first, we were in a bedsit in Turnpike Lane, and then we moved onto Bartry Road, consequently moving onto an estate of which I think he intended to become my prison. Initially, when we were in Vartry Road, the opportunity to go to college came up. It was about time that I started to take my education and future seriously. Be that as it may, he made it seem that going to college was a no-go for me. In his mind, he may have felt that because we had a baby, it was not reasonable. I stood up to him on that occasion and stood my ground and made it sure to him that I was not going to back down. I signed up to Hackney College in September 1989. Thankfully, my siblings signed up too. So it was great to have their support. Signing up to college is where it became evident that domestic abuse was a vein that ran through my relationship with this man. My fellow students and I were given an assignment to seek out an organisation. My group and I found a place called Women's Aid near Old Street Tube Station. Although it was not directly associated with the assignment that we were given, it must have been by divine intervention to have found it because, lo and behold, to me, it was an organisation that supported battered women. What struck me the most was a woman working in the corner. Her face and body had been mutilated. Her colleague told us that her husband had poured hot oil on her. She went on to explain that the organisation helped women that had suffered domestic violence and abuse at the hands of a spouse or a partner. She also spoke about the woman who used the service and how they supported them. It was then that I realised and said in my head, oh my God, this is happening to me. Although she was unaware of my situation and I kept it silent in front of my peers, She gave me enough information to take the steps to stopping the abuse. From then on, I sought to get this abusive man out of my house and out of my life. It was no easy feat either. I recollect that locking my bedroom door had become a custom because he struck the fear of God into me. He had already bust up my lip, left me dishevelled and slapped me upside my head a few times. One night, he somehow managed to get into my bedroom. He started to kick me and tell me that I was a bad mother. It was tough to the point that he started to tell me that he was going to kill me. I began hiding all the knives in the house. One time I did get a chance to leave. I packed my bags, went to my sister's. I think Neely was uh, at his parents' house at the time and he would not return her. This led me to leaving my sister's and going home with him. I was going through some serious changes with this man. But through it all, I retained a level head and knew that this shit could not go on forever. Going back to the woman's aid scenario, I knew what I had to do. Now, back in the day, you could approach a solicitor and get something called legal aid. This enabled me to get the needed help from the courts. I was assigned a wonderful woman barrister who was able to get a court order and serve him with it. 
they would be delivering the news to him on Friday. That evening, I ran his bath as usual and waited for him to come home, operating as normal on the outside, but shitting myself on the inside. I knew what was coming. As he returned, the inevitable happened. He could not have been at the apartment more than 10 minutes when he opened the door. Are you such and such? Yes, I am, he replied. The man serving him the papers was brief and straight to the point saying, you need to gather your things and leave the premises immediately. He was stunned momentarily and then shouted, you bitch! In my heart, I was relieved, but still recanting and hiding in the living room so as not to be in the way. He was so angry, he came back later with his brother and the police began to gather his belongings. Words were spoken between the two of us, which triggered him to the point of trying to hit me in front of not only his brother, but the police as well. Once he had revised his behaviour, he went about gathering all his materialistic possessions that he thought mattered to me. He even went as far to taking a wrench to remove the cooker. This is when I spoke up. I turned around and told him that he could take everything else out of the place, but he had to leave that one item. I then asked him, if you take the cooker, how is your daughter going to eat? The policeman encouraged him to leave it. So he did. So much relief came from him being gone. A return to being happy, to being free of him was more valuable than the beatdowns and criticism. The materialistic things did not matter more than my freedom. He could have it all. Freedom was short-lived, however, and I still feared for my daughter's and my safety. On occasion, he would stalk and follow me around, being everywhere I turned. Once he called me in his car. I cannot remember what was said, but he screeched off in a rage. My stomach ached from the fear of him, but somehow I managed to retain my dignity as well as stay calm throughout the whole situation. By the summer, the decision had been made to send my daughter to Jamaica with my mother, as he would not leave me alone. One night he came to my house and felt that he could abuse me in front of my brother, mother and daughter. I don't know how he left that house alive that night. He went one step too far, enraging my brother. A fight ensued. It went from one room to another, ending in him having his head pushed into a mirror in my bathroom, smashing it to pieces. He started screaming out all sorts of foolishness, saying how he was going to kill my brother. This now in turn enraged my mother, and she had a temper that has no levels. She was game, kitchen knife in hand and ready to stab him in his spineless chest. This is the thing, a coward can manipulate and beat a woman and vice versa down behind closed doors and feel no way about it. But when confronted before other people, they will be all mouth and no action. And when really confronted, flee like the wind. He left with the biggest conk on his head. That night, I felt even more liberated to know that my family had my back, 100%. Up until that point, I had never spoken of the abuse that was happening to me, to anybody. He never hit me again after that, but did try to terrorise me just one last time at my flat. Trying to kick my front door down, shouting and screaming all sorts of obscenities. But for all of that, he made one big mistake, that is, putting his hands through my letterbox. 
I was so anxious in those days that I started smoking. And on occasion, as he terrorised me, I was pulling long and hard on that Benson the Hedges fag. As I saw his scrawny fingers come through the letterbox, I burnt that bastard's hand with my cigarette. And from that day on, he never touched or bothered me again. What solidified his wickedness, though, was the day that I sent my daughter away to stay with my mother abroad. I did not have the fear to take her to the airport. He wallowed in his smugness as he held her in his arms, kissed her head at the window on that virgin train and teased me with the thought that he would see her off from Gatwick Airport and I would not be able to take the train beyond Victoria Station. As much as my heart ached, my thought was, it is only for a time. She will be back with me soon. If you are a person being abused by your partner, please speak to someone as soon as possible. There is hope out there and many organisations that are fighting in your corner. Abusers will use many forms to manipulate a situation and they even stoop to the gaslighting and narcissism. They will use children as weapons and even try to turn your own family members against you. When dealing with someone that is this way, one has to be strong-willed and independent as being dependent on an abuser can be a dangerous place for the abused. Never allow someone to take your liberty and feel the need to have you as a homebody unless that is your will. I found it extremely difficult when Lily was away from me. It was a very low and depressing period in my life. Having college and finding new friends helped me to cope with those anxious moments. Finding myself again and trying to create my true identity helped. I was able to spend time in getting to know myself when being in a relationship that primarily takes everything out of us. It is advisable to take time before getting involved with someone else. We have to recall the signs and symptoms of meeting a perpetrator and try our best not to make the same bad choices when meeting someone new. Table. Are any of these things happening to you in your relationship? These are the signs of an abusive relationship. Making threats. Controlling your movements. Violence towards you. Aggression. Putting you down coercing you to do things that you do not want to yes no if it's yes then what action are you going to take no continue on your road to happiness table two are you experiencing loss of self-esteem become depressed started to drink or abuse substances feel anxious around your partner isolated from friends and family yes What action are you going to take? No, move on with your relationship. If you feel unsafe and feel the need to leave an abusive relationship, you can take steps to freeing and being yourself and feeling safe within your own environment. One, speak to your friends and family and identify a safe place for you to go. Even a raised voice is a red flag. Two, have a spare mobile phone. Three, Memorise your family and friends' telephone numbers. Four, make a list of all things that you may need to take if you have to leave quickly. Five, have an extra set of keys. Six, keep all your documentation on an external hard drive. Seven, approach a local family court. Eight, 
use a library to do some research if possible. Nine, do not tell your partner that you're going to leave. And 10, once you have made the decision to leave, as hard as it may be, do not return to the toxic environment. Think on this. Nobody owns you. There is always a way out. No one has any right to put their hands on you. No person that loves you will hurt you. You are worthy. Chapter 8, The Almost Now. Do you remember the film Shrek when Donkey asked him about who he was? Shrek defined himself as an onion. Identifying himself as an onion is a great analogy. Can you relate? Layers, circles, stinging eyes, turns, highs as well as lows. Many years had now passed and gone. My past no longer hurt or haunt me that much anymore. The only downside to me was that I compartmentalise these things, leaving a void and many unopened boxes in my subconscious mind. When we fail to deal with underlying issues, this can have a negative impact on what our future deals out to us. It's better to take the time to analyse and comprehend how various stages in our lives have impacted us, to deal with the things that have made a lasting impression on us, be them good or be them bad. This is where growth happens and maturity sets in by this stage. I went from entertaining royalty to going blind with my voice. I could not understand it. There was no problems in my life per se, yet something undeniably must have been affecting me without me having any idea of it. I was a wreck and wanting to end it all without having any idea as to the reasons why. I sat one night with a handful of pills And no, it was not a cry for help. In fact, I was all cried out and ready to end it all. You see, you can be difficult to take criticism when it once ruled as king. It's one of those hard pills to swallow. In this case, it was someone that I had been working with for around three years. She told me I was washed up and that I wasn't cutting it. Do you notice that people take pleasure in kicking you when you're down? How they lavish in making you feel bad about yourself, not taking into consideration your emotions and feelings. There are a lot of people out there like that. Those who couldn't care less. They know how to hurt you without thinking about the consequences and anguish that their actions may leave upon us. We do all the time speaking without thinking, not realising that what we say may push someone to the crag of despair. Self-care at this juncture is of the utmost importance because if we do not care about ourselves, we are likely to be trampled on by others as tumbleweed is blown around by the breeze. Their insensitive remarks and statements can have a profound effect on our mental health. On hindsight and with some heartfelt reflection, I now know that it was jealousy on the part of the other person Yet, I allowed them to get beneath the surface of my already fragile disposition to infect me with their own lies, perceptions and own insecure feelings. Those harsh negative words ruminated in my head as I sat there in the dark with my husband, always a voice of reason at my side. Tears running down my cheeks, ready to call it a day without any foresight or idea of the consequences that would follow if I managed to succeed in my endeavour. 
music was my life. The year now 2000, I was a far cry away from the former woes and life was going pretty well. Yet at this stage, I thought it was all over. As I sat there, I asked myself, what am I going to do now? Even my own mother cursed me saying these cutting words, you used to sound like a bird, but now you sound like a frog. That was a deep stab of a knife. I mean, if your own mother can curse you and give no sense of relief, that's your world done right there. Of course I had the right to end it all, didn't I? I had tried to take my life on more than one occasion during that period. And when we used to go shopping, one of my intentions was to buy tablets with the notion of killing myself. In the meantime, and with those continual thoughts, I was able to function just above the line of insanity. It was a tough time, and in my mind's eye, it was so hazy trying to see through all that mind fog. Having good friends made the path a little bit smoother, yet the road that is, life, is one that we travel alone, regardless of everybody around us. Keeping busy, being involved in various projects gave me some comfort. It dawned on me to buy a PC that would enable me to produce my own music. However, my confidence had taken such a pounding to the point of being beaten to death. And after a sabbatical, away from gigging, the opportunity to work at a school came up. But gazing at the wage slip on my first payday stunned me. What I had earned in a month here, I could earn three times the amount in one night. Nevertheless, I folded up the slip, put it in my pocket and just got on with it. This job would teach me humility. I no longer performed at the Royal Opera House or the Ritz or on the Sheik's boat in the Seychelles. Nowadays, working in an inner city school, wiping butts and feeding disabled children at lunchtimes was my calling. It was then that I got a tiny taste of my true purpose, that of being selfless and helping others. I spoke to my beautiful students and would tell them that they could be anyone or anything that they wanted to be regardless of their disability. Have you heard of talking the talk? The fact was seeing it for others but not seeing it for oneself. Those suicidal thoughts still remained and screamed ever louder inside of my psyche. It is called functionality, getting through those dark days. Imagine being inside of a tunnel Everything around you is muffled, hazy and still. Yet you find your way to the other side. You make your way through doing this thing day in and day out, performing, yet not being true to yourself, having a facade and getting away with it at the same time. It would take one last ditch attempt on my life to get the necessary assistance to save me from myself. What is good? List everything good in your life. Embrace the good things as a good far outweighs the bad. Think on this. Life is worth living. If we had ended it all, there would be no new beginnings. Chapter 9. Do you worry about what people think? This is a deep-rooted disadvantage that is unconsciously inherent inside a lot of us. The fact that we worry so much about what people think of us This was one of my own preconditioned childhood beliefs, worrying about what people, God and the postman thought of me. What people would say, what God would do, I would do more for others because of my fears to the detriment of gaining something positive for myself. This only led to disappointment. 
being overly concerned that if I did something outside of the non-existent box that so many of us are confined inside of or operating outside of the zone of comfort where others fear to tread, feeling that if I stepped outside of the norm, this would be condemned to a life of damnation. She questioned, why should you care? I said, I don't know. The counsellor said, do they pay the rent of your mind? It was then and there that the penny dropped. I said, no, they don't. That was a clincher for me right there. I vowed from that day forward, what people thought of me was not my concern. It was time to evict all those negative and unnecessary people, things and situations that brought no sense of quality or enhancement to my existence. It was now time to take control of my life back. On occasion, those thoughts of not being good enough do resurface into my subconscious. Nevertheless, I put those demons to sleep with a fuck off and leave me alone. Those words ward them off straight away. Those voices and other people don't own the rent of our minds. Be sure to make sure that those negative expressions and opinions are not allowed to take up residence inside of your head. Warding off negative thoughts and replacing them with good. What do you do to ward off negative thoughts? What do you do to celebrate positive thoughts? Create a new word for yourself to get rid of any negativity. Use it every time that you sense any ounce of negative vibration surfacing. It is an anchor to balance your emotions and mindset in a moment of insecurity. Think on this. Knowing the level of our worth is much more significant than what people suppose of us. How people see us is from their perspective. People operate out of their own preconditioned ideas and beliefs. Chapter 10. All of our stories are different. What got me to that point was extreme depression. I had never felt like that before. How could something you cannot see make you feel so damn bad? What made it worse was that religion played a major part in solidifying the negative emotions. Being a firm believer in God, going to Christian meetings on a regular basis and devoting a lot of time to evangelical work was no remedy. I was in severe physical and psychological pain and riddled with guilt. I had no answers or reasons why. All the people in the congregation would say was, keep going. Keep on going where? Or they would say things such as, keep your eye on the prize. What was the prize? Something that seemed a little too far off. I was in the here and the now living a simple life according to scriptural teachings, but it did not prevent me from being riddled with the feelings of self-reproach. I continued on a devout path for a while, but the voice inside of my head kept on asking me why I was still there when it made me so unhappy. I then began asking and answering outwardly and realised that it was the fear and conditioned belief that kept me in the place that I had grown out of. What I was told, do not mix with unbelievers. We are all afforded the same opportunity no matter what walk of life. If we were all to take a bowl, scoop the water from the ocean, there would be an abundance for everybody. Yet, as a religious person, the belief was that good things were only for the chosen ones, 
and that we had to be seen to be busy for the kingdom. Nonetheless, I could see that regardless of what kind of people we are, the Almighty makes it rain on all of us with no discrimination. Two, do not question, just do as you're told. On hindsight, we should question every darn thing. And if something does not make sense, question it. Look at the height, the depth, the breadth, and see if it is an equal equation that adds up. If not, then dig a little deeper. Three, just be obedient to the instruction that is given. The universe gives the answers, not a man with a begging bowl. Everything that we want, have or need comes from the source. We are the source and need to work in harmony with the things that we ask for. It's not about praying and waiting for God to do something. We have to be actively working towards the goal that we want to reach. Four, God will work it out. That is in question with being moved by our actions. No amount of praying and sitting down waiting for things will make it happen. In order to see change, we need to be the change we want to see. Five, any negative voices in your head belong to the devil. Sometimes those voices are the ones that we have to listen to. We have an inside barometer that will indicate to us where we are on the road to life. The only negative voice that we want to avoid listening to is a voice that prevents us from making any form of progress in life. We know what our wants are, so work in line with the things that you want and not the things that you do not want. We were taught that we need to work in harmony with things that we asked for, yet the things that we asked for could not be for selfish purposes. They had to be the things heavenly but nothing of the world or anything outside of the church. Only sustenance and covering anything outside of that would be wrong to ask for. Very confusing. From my observation, one can truly appreciate and give thanks to the universe that gives us all in full measure and equal share abundantly. If we do not tap into the abundance, it will be received elsewhere. Coming to learn that we are source and our thoughts are what govern our outcomes, having already given up a lucrative career with a European band and making many sacrifices to adopt a religious lifestyle, I now found myself in a position of deep depression, a mundane existence and on the verge of madness. Seeing through the hypocrisy that was blatantly apparent, seeing how the ones teaching were not living such surrendering lives themselves, the hypocrisy was so clear, yet being busy in the Lord crowded out the reality. The only thing that was balanced was family life, having a supportive husband and three lovely children who never gave us much, if any, trouble, that is, until the teenage years. My husband would work during the days. We were like ships passing in the night as I worked the night shift. We both had tight schedules as we were also practicing Christians and had to find the time for that too. Between worship, work and family, it was a tight boat. Things were going swimmingly, and we were dealing and getting on with life. We were what seemed happy. However, there were conflicting beliefs that started to creep in. They almost destroyed our beautiful family. Reasons being that I have a son that did not fit into the Christian ideal, so he had been marked as bad company. I also have two other children that needed my attention and amongst all of that, no will to live. 
with depression, contaminating me like a disease, taking me to the depths of a chasm that had a deep descent, a dark cloud began to envelope our home to the point of loving and hating my husband all at the same time. We ended up kicking our son out from the home. This never felt right. But God came first, was the belief at the time. Marge would later tell me how he slept rough and had nothing to eat. Son, you know you could always come here, were my words. But how could he when he felt so dejected? We have never really spoken deeply about his experience. I feel as if he has never forgiven us for being so foolish to put him out on the street, especially since I too was subjected to rejection and homelessness in the past. We always did things by the book, or was it? In my head, the book is flawed. There wasn't really genuine support. Bit by bit, our family was ostracised. And by the time my daughter was ready to get married, I had already decided to leave. My mind never switched off. I was desperate. At this stage, all my friends were part of the Christian organisation that I belonged to. There was no longer any place for me. Mixing with outsiders was not advisable, so it left me with a question. Did I really have genuine friends, or were they just associates, as long as I remained in the congregation? I told myself that I needed some release. There was a friend that I had not been in touch with for a long time, one that I felt I could hang with. Thankfully, my sister was still in touch with him and reintroduced us. He was slick and seemingly took care of our problems momentarily. He has a good way of clouding our judgment and making one feel good in an instant. However, Bobby effed me up. I could not walk. And if I was out of my mind before this, Bobby surely put me at the edge of the precipice that I spoke of earlier. I could not even see the bottom that was hidden in dense darkness. That sense of deep despair with nowhere to turn. This could have led me down a road where one could have easily got lost. I was not adept to smoking pot. And even though I had already decided to leave the brethren, guilt engulfed me like a crashing wave. Nevertheless, I had to tackle it. It is all a part of life. And the decision was made. I would have a seat with God on the day of judgment about that episode. I was now choosing to cut out the middleman. Think on this. Do not be so hard on yourself. Your relationship with the Almighty is something personal. Take things to the Maker in secret. If we feel guilty in our worship, we need to find out the reasons why. Chapter 11. Who am I? During those dark moments, despair ruled as king. I was a victim, yet chose to walk away. There comes a point in one's life where we have to make some serious choices. I was 16 years in a place that really had no place for me. Religion in my eyes had no room for personal growth and no room for getting to know who I was as an individual. It was a mundane existence that almost turned me crazy. I constantly felt guilty for what I did not know. Overall, I could not stand most of the people that I was forced to be around so started to get lost in the haze. I recall going to a meeting once with sinister intentions in my heart. At this time, Ken and I were having some marital problems. He was so aloof all the time. I felt unhappy, rejected and lonely. It so happened that I had a gig coming up. 
but needed a musician to work with me on this night. I asked Ken to come along as a company to scout. Yet again, Ken did not feel the need to come, so I went on the recruitment on my own. I got to the venue early, but the saxophonist had not turned up as yet. I waited for a while, and some arrogant guy came up to me, rolling my eyes into the back of my head. My one thought was, who does he think he is? I was frustrated at his presence and really did not have time to entertain him. My whole sole aim and purpose of being at that venue was to hire a musician. Nevertheless, as the evening drew on, this person seemed to mellow. We started a conversation. Let's call him Mr. Barbados. He was very charming and had me won over by the end of the evening. Let's just say that I left that evening not only booking a saxophonist, but coming away with a love interest. It took only two weeks for this man to have me wound around his Bayesian finger, hence me saying earlier that I went to a Christian meeting with bad intentions in my heart, because as a family, we went to worship. But my mind was elsewhere. After the meeting, I dropped the family home and went about my business to meet, yes, that same man that frustrated me initially. I really was not thinking straight, and to be fair, Mr Barbados, although very handsome and willing not to have my feelings or emotions at heart, he probably just wanted a holiday fling that would ease his ego, I was in a bubble of confusion and just wanted to be acknowledged by somebody. This is where self-recognition and love for who we are needs to be recognised by us as individuals. No real love will come externally if we do not love ourselves. I was looking for validation from the congregation, my husband and this fellow, but not looking for it from myself. That night, Mr Barbados was not home. We had arranged to meet. We conversed momentarily on the phone. He expected me to wait close up to an hour for him. Thankfully, my self-worth was much more valuable than waiting for a man more than 10 minutes a lifelong rule that I still keep to this day. So I chose to forego the meeting with him and made my way to a fellow worshipper's house, knowing full well how I felt in my heart and the desire that burned inside of me to be wanted by someone, even though I was unmarried and keeping things together. At my fellow believer's home, we spoke about superficial topics relevant to the faith, but I never divulged to her what had just happened prior to me arriving at her home. I was torn between the tormenting thoughts of wanting to be with this stranger because I did not know where to find my own happiness. A week later, I almost commit adultery, but that voice inside of my head said, I can't do this. I love God and I love my husband too much. I often look back and recognise that in those moments of despair, I had some form of control over my actions and chose what I thought at the time was the right thing to do. This was a first step on the road to making choices that I wanted to make and no man or organisation would tell me otherwise. Once my daughter was married, I chose to leave religion and started my journey on the road to spirituality instead. Getting to know myself and seeing life from a whole new perspective, letting go of the guilt that man placed upon me and becoming accountable for my own actions, working things through with my husband. I spoke to him about the situation and we were able to move on and grow together. Think on this. We are all accountable for the things that we do. When it is time to meet our maker, then we will know 
what true judgment is. Chapter 12, Turning Point. I happened to be in Waterstones where it was noticeable to me that there was a lack of books dealing with black history and historical figures, especially in the children's section. On the drive home, a concept came to me, books teaching children about their history. I got up and wrote five of them all at once. It never occurred to me that I would ever be a writer who now runs writers and publishers workshops, or that I would be a motivational speaker, radio presenter and still singing. Really? Me? It was not even an afterthought. It's listening to the words that the universe is speaking. I heard them loud and clear and there was a need that worked directly in line with the inspiration and thoughts that infiltrated my mind. Words in action and no waiting for anyone to tell me to go as a starter gun does in a race. We are all on the road to life and having every opportunity to recognise our purpose. All of this is healing process. All of this is part of the journey. I would have never thought that I would ever be doing something like this, writing books and giving my opinion on deep-rooted issues in our society and life from my perspective. I thought that I would sing forever, but it was the departure from what I thought was my destiny that brought me to a new road. It takes a lot to discover who we are, and sometimes in order to find that person that lurks beneath the surface of the facade, that we may portray is a person that needs definition and validation, not from others, but from ourselves. I was a dead plant, but life's experiences watered me back to life. I chose not to allow the negative to outweigh the good, but have used it to elevate me to see through a broken person's eyes. Having perception and learning about the human psyche has enabled me to actively listen to those around me and glean where the problems may lie. If there is one thing that I did take with me from the scriptures was that love is many things, yet it will never fail. We all have our definition of love, but in all the definitions, I note that we often look outwardly to love someone else or for them to love us back. The reality is that love really needs to start with us in order for it to really mean something to others. As you can see, I've had my fair share of letdowns and had no foundations to understanding who I was. This is why we need to go to source to have a clear understanding that is getting to know ourselves and who we are. Application of love has to start with us as individuals first. Never let anyone dump their baggage on your back or in the bank of you. We have enough to carry and have made enough investment in ourselves. We must make it our aim to never allow others to withdraw from our emotional savings account. Some people get off on seeing you miserable. Why? Because misery loves company. Let them remain where they are in their low level of vibration. You, however, must remain on an elevated plane and on a high frequency. Others' opinions of you are their opinions. You have no right concerning yourself with what they think of you. You are unique and only you can take away or add value to your mental health and well-being. Never let anyone tell you you can't. Release the tea and know with due diligence and constant work on who you are as an individual, you can achieve anything that you work hard towards. Think on this. We are all in the same boat At one stage or another, let us help each other to steer the rudder and take turns to reaching 
our desired destination. <laughs>